Father, this morning we just come to you. As we come to the ministry of your word, Father, I pray, we will be that good soil. Not that rocky, hard place, the pathway. Not that shallow ground. Not that was choked by the cares of this world. But, oh Father, I pray that good ground. All of us. That the seed of your word will fall and bring forth a harvest in its due season. Because your word will never go void, oh Father. It will always achieve the purpose for which it is being sent forth. So even this morning, continue speaking to us. Continue teaching us. Continue watering the seed that our spirits have already received. That you may give us increase at your appointed time. We just surrender ourselves, O Lord. Help us to hear. Help us to listen. Help us to listen, Lord. Listen. Help us to listen. For it. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For those of you who struggle to listen, just think for a minute your brain is an app. It may work. A couple of Sundays back, we were looking at uh, the incredible decisions Moses made. We looked only at one part actually about identity. Everywhere, all go through this crisis. Even believers, some believers struggle all through their life to really identify themselves with Christ Jesus. Who am I? But until that first question question is settled, most people struggle even finding the will of God, fulfilling the will of God. And we saw one of the first decisions Moses made when he came of age. Remember, past teachings, the Bible, the Holy Spirit divides a church or into three categories. Those who are babies who do not know anything further than forgiveness of their sins. And God cannot use them. God tolerates babies, humors babies. And when rapture takes place, you enter as a baby, he keeps you there. I don't know what he will do with you, what he will do with babies in heaven. I don't know what. I don't know, from morning till evening probably, if there is a morning and evening, the angels will be, a set of angels will be entertaining them. But there's nothing for you to do, for babies to do. So please, please, Never enter in heaven as a baby. And the next category are the young ones. The young ones are the ones who have overcome. The word of God is living in them. They have strength to overcome. And that's how that narrative actually began. When Moses was of age, he decides who he is. He makes a choice. He makes a choice. And a life will be full of choices. And one of the first choices you make is, Where do I belong? In the world or the kingdom of God? And if I belong to the kingdom of God, what should I be? How should I be? But this morning, I'm not looking from that portion. I'm going to another portion from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. And we will, of course, touch what we had touched two Sundays back. 
The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zerekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And then said I, A Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms, to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. It's an incredible introduction to a young man. Probably a body. If you go to the first three verses. Then the words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah. Of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. To whom the word of the Lord came. In the days of Josiah the son of Ammon. King of Judah in the thirteenth year of his reign. I was talking to. The church in Jamshedpur, not this message, but these lines. Actually, I was talking to my wife that morning because she was studying Jeremiah. So when she was studying Jeremiah, I said, when you read the first three verses of Jeremiah, what catches your attention? Don't look so glum. I know it's overcast outside. You don't have to be overcast on your faces. Okay. May the son of righteousness rise over you with healing under his wings. You see, Josiah became king when he was eight years old. Eight years old. Very young king. Boy. Eight years old. And scripture says, if you study the account in Second Chronicles, you will see, at the eighth year of his reign, that is when he's 16 years old, 16 years old, he started seeking the Lord. Okay, all those who are teenagers, remember, there's a young man who is a king, and the word of the Lord is lost, there is no word of God, it is lost, and this young man at the age of 16 is seeking the Lord. Okay? Scripture says here, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anatha, whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the king, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. And if you know correctly, the manuscript or the book of the law, the Bible was found in the 18th year of his reign. The word of God is lost. Nobody has the word. Service is going on. The king is seeking God on his own way. He's removing the high places. There is no word. Yet, in the middle of it without Anybody knowing, five years before the word of God is found, God is speaking to a little boy, unknown to anybody. Unknown to anybody. 
So please never ever look with eyes of sight and think God is not speaking to people who we are not even aware of. I don't know whether this, this Jeremiah is the son of that actual Helekiah or is one of the other priests whose name is the same. Because remember the priest who found the book of the law, his name is Helekiah. I don't know whether Jeremiah is his son. And if he is his son, it is the most strange thing. The father is serving. The father has no word of God. And the father has no clue God is speaking to the son. And he's a boy. Okay? Please remember. Please remember this. And the word scripture says in verse 3. It also came in the days of the next king. You remember he, he ruled for 31 years. So he, all those 31 years, God spoke to Jeremiah. And then after that, his son and his son, God spoke to him, to a prophet. But he started speaking to him when he was very young. I, I believe he was not even a teenager. Okay. He's not even a teenager. God continuously spoke to this young man or young boy. And kept on speaking to him. The word of the Lord came continuously to Jeremiah. The word of God. Our God is the living God. And he speaks. Now if you go to verse 4. The word of the Lord came. And then the word of the Lord came to me saying. Now it is personal. To me he is speaking. Saying before I formed you in the womb. I knew you. Before you were born I sanctified you. We are looking at identity. And I told you two Sundays back, you will never find the answer to who you are unless you find the answer to the question, whose you are. The first thing God does with this young man or a young boy, Jeremiah, is fix his identity. He looked at him and he said, you know what? Even before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You see, we only think of Adam and Eve being formed by God and the rest of us were conceived in our mother's womb. God says, no. Every one of you was formed by me in your mother's womb. God says, there are no illegitimate children. Illegitimate parents plenty. No illegitimate children. Whether it is born of rape or incest. He says, children are legitimate because I formed you. I don't negate the sin. I don't overlook the sin. But every child is precious because he says, I formed you. Everyone. The womb was just like Eden, where God designed us. So it doesn't matter who your parents are, if you are part of the elect. It doesn't really matter. God was at work in our life. He knew us before we were formed. Therefore, there are no accidents. In short, what medical science is trying to do, all kind of crazy stuff, even before they thought it, each one of the elect was God's designer baby. You were not born because your parents came together. No, your parents came together because it was time for you to be born. There are no accidents. You have to believe. You have to believe. That's what I said. When you see the word of God and how God frames his words and speaks to young people because he's framing his identity before he can start anything. Say, Jeremiah, this is who you are. Don't look at your background. 
Don't look at who you are in the terms of the natural. Don't. That should settle the question of identity. Because you can take it personally and say, Lord, I know who I am. I am yours. You formed me in my mother's womb. And you knew me even before that. You knew before that. And then, if you come to verse 5, the second part, he says, yeah. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God's vision is big because we serve a big God. Our vision is small because we do not know God as our father. As our father. That's why Jesus says the first thing. Teach us to pray. He said, this is how you need to pray. Our father. When he rises from the dead, he tells Mary Magdalene, go and tell the disciples, I'm going to my father and your father. Because father defines identity. And then when you know who your father is, you realize what a big God is. God's vision is big because we serve a big God. But our usual response is like Jeremiah. I said in verse 6, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak because I am a youth. Some translations will use the term, I am a boy, I am a child. Our problem is, you can't be serious, God. You can't be telling me about nations and all that. At the most I will accept, I'm a prophet in my local gully. That also I'm finding it difficult. Nations? You must be kidding me. Because you know what? We don't look at him. We look at our limitations. And that's the first thing he says, I'm a boy. Like Philip. Lord, eight months wages can't even give them a mouthful. When Jesus says, let's feed this crowd. Let's feed this crowd. What do they say? Eight months wages. Or like Sarah, when God tells Abraham, next year this time, you'll be holding a baby. And she laughs. You must be kidding me at this age. Or maybe like Martha. Yes, no. Yes, Lord. I know my brother will rise on the last day on resurrection. And he looks her in the eye and says, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Now when we, God tells us something, we find it very difficult to believe. Very difficult to believe because we don't look at God, we look at ourselves and our limitations. And God's response to both, all these doubts is, what he told Sarah, and what he told Mary, Mary's when Angel Gabriel comes and talks to Mary, she says, how is that possible? I am a virgin, I have not known man. You know what God told both these great women in God's history? Two great women, one was Sarah who would bring forth Isaac, out of whom Israel and Jesus would come, and Mary out of whom personally Jesus would come. To both he said the same thing. In Genesis 18 and verse 14, did I give you? Yeah. Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? It's as simple as that. Even when you hear God telling you the impossible, the question should be not, Lord, how is it possible? The question is, is anything too difficult for my God? In Luke one thirty-seven, Gabriel says this to Mary. With God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. 
So remember this. When God speaks, believe. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. And is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Don't hide under excuses. Behold, I cannot speak for I am only a child. It's just an excuse. A lot of people make excuses. A lot of That's what God, Paul tells Timothy. Don't let anybody look at you because you are young. Don't make your youth as an excuse. Sometimes it's just an excuse. Or your disability as an excuse. Stammering guy. No language. Don't make these things as an excuse. Don't hide behind it. And God says, if you go back there to verse 6, God says, yeah, verse 5, sorry. He says, you were sanctified. You were ordained. You were, before you were born, I sanctified you. And I ordained you. If anybody believes you are not ordained, you are already ordained. The laying of hands is something that is happening out in the physical realm. Something that already happened in the ages past in the spiritual realm. If he never ordained you in your womb, it doesn't matter who comes and lays hands on you. It's irrelevant. But if he has already ordained in the womb, it doesn't matter if nobody laid hands on you. You are still ordained. But remember, God's purpose is always, always redemptive. First thing he says is, I set you apart. You are sanctified. Set apart. I set you apart. First thing you have to realize is, if my identity is in Christ Jesus, and I believe these words, the first part of it, your identity is, I have been set apart. I have been saved. I have been sanctified. I have been continuously being sanctified. I have been set apart for God. And not for this world. I have been set, I will go out as a prophet to this world. I have a prophetic calling in my life. I will go out, but I have been set apart from my mother's womb. I was set apart. You must believe. Because that is the purpose. You have been saved to serve. Peter will put it this way. You have been taken out of darkness into his marvelous light to declare his praises. You have been saved to declare. You have been sanctified and ordained to be a prophet. That's what he tells his young boy. Abraham, he tells Abraham, Abraham, you are blessed to be a blessing, not to sit there and grow fat, Abraham. You have been blessed to be a blessing. And like I said, in verse 5, his vision is universal because God is a universal God. He's not a Gallika Deva. Okay, he's not. He is the God of this universe. So his vision is universal. He says, a prophet to the nations. I have made you a prophet to these nations. So the question is, what does it mean? Lord, somebody sitting here thinking, Lord, really? Can I be a prophet to the nations? Depends. On your surrender and your vision, how do you see God? Depends. God's word is true for everybody. Let me give an example from the Bible before we go outside the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 46. This is David speaking when he is about to cut down Goliath. This is what he says. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. That the whole earth will know that there is a God in Israel. Do you think David published this in the journals? Do you think there was TV those days? There was internet. But do you know? He was speaking by faith what he believed. And today, one of the most well-known stories in every culture is David killing Goliath. The whole world will know there is a God in Israel. He became a prophet to the nations. Because he believed. If you believe that Lord, you have chosen me, you have set me apart, you have ordained me, and I will surrender, I will allow you to live through me, God says your life will be a witness and a testimony to nations. And I will do it. You won't even know about it. I will do it. There was a young man. His name was Herman. I forgot his full name. He was a soldier in the French army. Got defeated. He was almost killed by the... In the 16th century, not Second World War. He was almost killed by the Germans who captured him. And different armies he joined. And finally, at the age of 24 or 25, he joined the monastery. And in the monastery, his job was to, in the kitchen. In the kitchen. And later he was so ill, the, the monastery heads gave him the job to take care of repairing the shoes because he didn't have the strength to cook or clean. He never wrote anything. But because he was such an incredibly godly monk, people all used to come to just be with him. And the other priest with whom he shared wrote down his teachings, which is called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Just lives of millions, nations know this man who was known by nobody. Because he said, you know, Lord, I just surrender my life. You use me. And even today, modern day today, both Catholics and Protestants refer to his book. He was a Catholic. Saint. John Wesley would quote from his book. A.W. Tozer quotes from his book. And you know Heinz on High Places, the daily devotion, Hannah Whittall Smith. She quotes from him. These are three great names in the Protestant movement. So it didn't matter whether they were Catholic or Protestant. One simple unknown monk became a prophet to the nations. Simply because he believed. Because our God is a big God. It's a big God. And God never forgets these things of people who have surrendered and allowed them to be a witness of God. Hundreds and hundreds of years have passed by. Literally thousands. Then comes a meek old man called Moses. Man called Moses. A man after God's more than David. A man just like God. If a man, human being other than Jesus, could get so close to becoming like God, that was Moses, the meekness of Moses. And through Moses, we have the history of the first how many hundreds of years of God's witnesses. How do you know Abel spoke even though he's dead? Because of Moses. What do you know about Enoch walking with God? Because of Moses. What do you know of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph? Because of Moses. 
their history, God said, world has forgotten. I will remind the world that they were prophets of these nations because they believed. They believed. They believed. So that's why scriptures, God says in the book of Hebrews, I will never forget the labor of your love. I will never forget. So God is telling us what is said to Jeremiah thousands of years ago. is true for anybody who believes. If you believe. Because God's vision is for us is big. Catch it. Don't limit it. Don't limit God in your life. God, don't limit God in your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9, this is how Paul will say. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered in the heart of man. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. We have no clue what God is preparing, even now. But verse 10 says, how do we know it? It says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. That is revelation. It is God's spirit that is speaking to Jeremiah and telling him, even before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew you. I sanctified you. I ordained you. And I have appointed you as what? Prophet to the nations. Through the spirit, God will speak to each one of us. It comes by a revelation. Three Sundays, four Sundays back. Remember, Brother Cyril, first sign of God speaking to you is revelation. You know who he is. And once you have known who he is and you are saved, he starts speaking to you because he's a God. That's why the entire Bible ends up with the book of Revelation. And Paul says, ask for God the spirit of revelation. God's vision for his sanctified saints is big. Why? Because it is redemptive. Why is his vision for his children always very big? Because he's connected with his redemption plan for the whole world. This is what scripture says. God's word says in 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, but not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repent. This is God's heart's desire. And when God's children surrender to this Lord, this is your heart's desire that people should not perish and go to hell. And you surrender, everything in your life takes shape according to that. Even your jobs, your careers, your movements, everything God starts moving because now what you have become, you have become an ordained person in God's hands. Your office is not random. Your college is not random. It's not a career choice. It's a kingdom choice. God is making choices for you. He is moving. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense what he is doing. I would, if it was given to me, I would send Peter to the Gentiles and Paul to the Jews. But God inverts it and sends Paul to the Gentiles and Peter to the Jews. But they are all surrendered. They are all surrendered vehicles. They are all surrendered. Please understand this. Because that's how God functions. Because he does not want anyone to perish. In the book of Romans, Holy Spirit to Apostle Paul will say this. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then it says in verse 14 and 16. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? But how can they call on whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Suddenly you realize the entire redemptive plan, it's like an army. The entire kingdom of God, his church is involved in this process of reaching this message to the unreached. 
And everybody has a part to play. Like I said, Indian army may have 2 million people, but very few fight. Not more than 4 or 5 lakh fight. The rest is in the process of supplying everything to those who fight. For to have the whole thing being in structure in place for that 5 lakh or 6 lakh people will fight for our defense and keep us safe. There is another 8 or 10 lakh people who are all part of the process. And God says, how can they hear unless they somebody preaches? How can somebody preach unless they are sent? And you will see most of the church is used for the sending process. You are all part of the same. Everybody is part of the same redemptive process. And that's what God is talking. There is a huge global purpose of God. And sanctified ones know that they are part of that great commission. The great commission is what? Go and make disciples of nations. Nations. And what does he tell Jeremiah? See, corporately as a church, the body of Christ, and the individual member of the church, both share the same commission. What is that? Make disciples of nations. And to the individual, Jeremiah, it says, I have appointed you to nations. And Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, what will happen? You shall receive power. And you shall be my witnesses. Not that you will witness, but you shall become my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See the, everywhere you see the call is global. So the question is, you have to ask like David, is not there a cause? It's not there a cause when he came there and his brothers tried to discourage him. He said, it's not there a cause? And we all have to ask, am I part of God's great cause? What is that? God's heart's desire is that no one should perish. Everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. But how can they believe in something they have not heard? And how can they hear unless somebody preaches? And how can they preach unless they are sent? God says, do you understand how God's army works? This is the cause. If this is true, then you have to say, I am destined to fulfill God's purpose. And God's plan is very clear for everybody in Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God says, I know in my plans for everybody. God does not have any evil plans for anybody because God is a father. Yes, and God is good all the time. So the question is, if this is God's plan and this is God's ordination and this is God's appointment, how is that so many or if not many just miss it? Just miss God's plan. Let us learn from Jeremiah or what God speaks and teaches Jeremiah. Let us learn from Jeremiah this morning. Lesson 1. First, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6. Then I said, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. And verse 7. But the Lord said, do not say. Jeremiah said, I am a boy. God said, don't say you are a boy. First lesson you learn from Jeremiah, from God's teaching Jeremiah is, don't see according to your weaknesses and your limitations. Don't see your life according to your weaknesses and your limitations. Don't. Don't say, I am a boy. First thing God says, is, don't say you are a boy. 
see as God speaks. Remember, this is always God's pattern. Always God's pattern. When Abraham was 99, he had messed up 13 years ago, created an Ishmael, because he could not believe that God would actually bless him with a child through Sarah. He had messed up. God comes when he's 99 and he ups the scale. His name earlier was Abraham, which means exalted father. Now that he has a son, he could walk around saying, I am exalted father. But at 99, God comes and tells him, what is that? I shall call you Abraham. You look at the promises, how different they are. In Genesis 12 and verse 12, God said, I will make you a great nation. In Genesis 17, this is what God says. Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. He said, you know what? I told you I'll make you a great nation. I changed my mind. I'm going to make it bigger. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And as a result, I'm going to change your name. You shall no longer be Abraham. You shall be Abraham. Imagine his embarrassment when people come and ask, what's your name? <laughs> My name is uh, Abraham. How many kids do you have? Uh, well, one through the concubine. <laughs> Abraham, do you believe? Yes, Lord, I believe. What do you believe? You look at yourself? Look at your wife? No, I believe what you say. Now I see myself in the light of what you have spoken over my life. Romans chapter 4 and verse 18 says, Romans, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. According to what was spoken. The first thing God tells Jeremiah is, don't say. According to your limitations. Don't say. As an individual, as a church, God says, don't limit yourself. Because when you limit yourself, you don't realize you're limiting me. You're limiting me. And he will always tell the children of Israel, first generation, your fathers, what? Shortened my hand by their unbelief. God cannot do anything with people who do not believe. First thing God tells is, do not limit me. And that's what he does with Jacob. When Jacob finally wants to be blessed, God says, you want to be blessed? What's your name? My name is Jacob. He says, you think Jacob can be blessed? Deceiver. Your name is deceiver. Can I bless you? No, I'm going to change more than you can ever think of. You wanted to be blessed. I'm going to show you what blessing is. I'm changing your name. Your name shall be Israel. Prince with God. Prince with man. Changing altogether. The man who was whole was Jacob. A man who is broken is Israel. And Israel is the blessing, not Jacob. Because you know what? God spoke over him. And he believed it. That's what he tells Joshua. Joshua, you, what you need to do? You need to do just one thing, Joshua. Meditate upon my word day and night. Do not let it depart from your mouth. Do not turn to the left or to the right. Stick to what I have spoken. Your destiny will change. Then you will realize, oh, not only these great ones in history, I was also chosen in my mother's womb. I was also ordained. I was also appointed. As a prophet to the nations, I too am part of the same body. If the body has one destiny, so have I. I am part of that same body because my father 
It's not a respecter of persons. That's how you have to believe. Remember always but. The word of faith will take it and turn it completely upside down. But please remember. Faith does not originate with man. Faith originates with God. It is not a Jeremiah who asked God who am I. It is God who told him who he is. It is always begins with God. So remember, don't grab promises from the Bible and run with, let God speak those promises to you and make it personal. There are general promises for everybody, but there are very specific promises which will define who you are in eternity. Your destiny on earth and your eternity. So be very, very careful. Faith originates with God. The difference is that The man hears from God. The man who hears must believe. Scripture says this way in Romans 10, verse 8. So what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God says, when you hear, you must believe. And when you believe, please be careful your confession tallies with what you believe. Because the mouth will always speak what the heart is full of. Why did Jeremiah say, I am just a boy? Because that's what he thought. That's what he thought. What do we say in our situations? We actually say what we think. What is in our heart. And verse, the next verse will say, 10 will say, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The heart and mouth connection. And the ear begins there. God speaks. You hear. You hear, you believe. If you believe, God says, don't say anything else and mess it up. Jeremiah was not lying when he said, I am just a youth. He was saying a fact. Okay? And God was not doing a miracle suddenly making me into an old man either. No. But facts are not always the truth. Some things can be factual but not truthful. What is truth? What is true is what God has spoken. The word of God is truth. Everything the ten spies came back and reported were facts. They were walled cities. They were giants. They were fighting men who were fighters from youth. Only problem was their fact did not agree with what God had already said. That was the only problem. Everything they said was fact. That's the thing. We live in the world of facts. But if the facts that you and I have heard does not agree with what God has spoken to us, reject the fact, accept the truth. Because scripture is always clear. The facts doesn't set you free. It's the truth that sets you free. Look at Numbers 13, 1. Before they are sent, what God says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which? See, they should have only, see, you see, there were 12 of them. Two of them stuck to this. He has given. The same thing was spoken to 12 people. Two of them grabbed what God has said, I'm giving. If God has said, I'm giving, then it doesn't matter what the cities look like. It's irrelevant. It's a fact there are walled cities. It's a fact there are giants. There are fighting men. All those things doesn't matter anymore because God said, I am giving. That's the always the thing. When God is moving you or God is placing you around, you always have to hear from God. And if God says, I am giving, then it doesn't matter what that place is like. It's irrelevant. 
It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Because he has already spoken. That's where you stand. No, you said. No, you said. No, you spoke. I am going to go by what you said and not but what I see. God is not talking about denying facts. But I am saying is that like Caleb and Joshua. When Caleb and Joshua spoke, you listen to what Joshua speaks and Caleb speaks in that same account. When they spoke, they spoke according to what God had already spoken. They did not speak. They said, agreed, what they said is true. It is true, those are the facts. But, God said, but God said. Because your confession is the proof of your faith, your belief. So God tells Jeremiah, I am sending you. And because I'm sending you, I'm giving you the first lesson as a young prophet. Don't say according to your limitations. Don't say according to your natural perception. You are a prophet. When you say, you say what I have spoken to you. Don't say, but say what I have spoken to you. That's the first thing he teaches him. You know, now of course we have cards, but... Even if you don't have cards. Say you're going to another country. Let's say you're going to Dubai or Singapore or Bangkok or anything. One of the first things you do when you get out on the airport is that you take your money and you outside and inside will be full of currency exchange shops. Okay? And many countries accept Indian rupees also. Hong Kong, uh, sorry, Bangkok, Singapore, all accepts. Okay? You give them your currency. What happens is they exchange it to the local currency and give it to you. Suddenly life becomes easy because now you can go ahead and make your purchases because you have exchanged your currency into the local currency. And let me tell you, there's a local currency in heaven. It is called faith. Nothing else works there. The minute you think about the kingdom of God, you have to exchange your sight for faith. You have to exchange. If there is a change of identity... There must be also a change of currency. There must be. And when we are born again, we are born again into the kingdom. What came inside is the kingdom of God. And if kingdom people try to walk by sight, they won't be used by God. And you may be thinking, Lord, why don't you use me? God says, because you are not using the local currency. This, your currency is not valid in the kingdom of God. And therefore God comes and actually says, my righteous shall live by faith. 24-7. 24-7. He says, there's no other way. There's no other way to live in the kingdom. And the best thing about faith, the most wonderful thing about faith, which for me personally, I don't know. It's true if you believe. Faith is an incredible equalizer. Incredible equalizer. Faith is a, like because I'm in the ministry, so let me talk about in ministry. When I go to places, when I sit with pastors, the one on the right, the one on the left, the one in the front, the one in the back, they all have Bible college degrees. I don't have. But faith is an equalizer. Faith is an equalizer. The kingdom of God. God did not say you need to go to Bible college. He said you need to believe. You need to believe. It's an incredible equalizer. Like I keep telling. Abel is the first fellow who worshipped. There's no musical instruments there. There's no singing over there. You know what? Most of us can't sing. Most of us cannot even play an instrument. But to worship God, all you need is faith. All you need is faith. And faith is an incredible equalizer in the kingdom of God. God says, by faith you can please. Oh, Moses walked with God. How can God? says, you too can. Enoch walked with God. You too can. How Lord? By faith. 
Noah built. God says, you too can. Really like Noah? Yes. What? By faith. Faith is an unbelievable equalizer. And it does not matter who you are. It brings everybody to the same level. It doesn't matter whether you're prince or prostitute. I deliberately use that word. Why? Because last two weeks ago we saw in Hebrews 11.24, Moses, by faith, Moses chose. What am I not? I am no longer a prince. How did he have to make that choice? By faith. 11.24. By faith, when he became of age. Who is he? A prince. How did he make that choice? By faith. Come down five verses down to verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab did not perish. Why? With those who did not believe. Because she received the spice into her place. So for the prince and the prostitute, see that you are not destroyed with Egypt, with the world, there was only one way. By faith. Don't you like faith? You won't like it unless you think you are a prince. Because faith is a very humbling thing. And also very elevating thing. Do you see? It's a very humbling thing. It's a very, very, if you are a prince, it's a very, very humbling thing. If you are a prostitute, it's a very elevating thing. In one shot, God put Moses and Rahab on the same level. The prince of Egypt and the prostitute of Jericho, one level. And many people don't like the gospel because the gospel doesn't give credit to anything of man. One of the reasons why people, and Bible is very clear, listen to what? We have heard this many, many times, but listen to the scripture once again. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. For you see your calling. Even before you are formed in your mother's womb, Jeremiah, I called you. I sanctified you. I set you apart. I ordained you. I have appointed you. Why? Because you are the smartest fellow in Israel. No, please. Okay? For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh. If you are wise according to the flesh, God doesn't call them. If you are mighty according to the flesh, God does not call you. If you are noble according to the flesh, God does not call you. And it's a very, very disheartening thing for people who are on the upward trajectory. No, who are trying to go up in the world. I mean, it's okay if God takes you up. It's fantastic. You need to go up. But if this is your career choice in this world, I want to go up. Then God says you can go up, but you're not called. You're not called. You're not part of my calling. You will miss your calling. Even though the calling is irrevocable, you will miss your calling. But God has, on the other end, you are not called, but God has chosen. Who are those who are chosen? The foolish things of the world. To put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. You see, he picked a Moses and he picked a Rahab. Moses had to become foolish, weak, ignoble to be chosen. Rahab already was. So she didn't have to make a very difficult. So God brought one down and lifted another up and put them at the same level. So be very, very careful. Be very, very careful. Do you believe? And verse 28, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has 
chosen. And Moses saw that. That's why the first word says, when he came of age, he said, I'm no longer Pharaoh's daughter's son. And after that, what did he say? He chose affliction with God's people who were slaves. He says, I will become something base because that is what God chooses. Do you believe what you hear? Scripture says in Hebrews 11 and verse 31, Scripture says about Rahab, By faith, harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. Those who did not believe. So in the city of Jericho, the others did not believe, she believed. And Hebrews 4 and verse 2 talks to us and to them, the Israelites, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. The word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. You are hearing it. Everybody is hearing it. But the question is not whether we are hearing it. We do we believe what we hear? Scripture says Jericho heard. Jericho heard. Rehab believed. So the question is, did Jericho really hear? Look at what she says. Because what you believe comes out of your mouth. Joshua chapter 2 verse 9 and 12. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Your confession is always the sign of what you believe. Joshua, this is she saying to the two spies. And said to the men, I know that God has given you the land. What is she saying? I know God has given you the land. And the terror of you has fallen on us. And all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard of how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. What you did to the two kings of Amorites who were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. You know, twice she says, we have heard. We have heard. Now, let me tell you, when this has happened? 40 years ago. 40 years ago. And if you go to verse 9, it's interesting. She said to them, I know. It's a very personal confession. Very personal conviction. Very personal confession. I know. What do I know? Even this land. Wait a second, Rehab. How do you know? Now you go back in history. Where is she saying this in? Joshua chapter 2. Hello, has Israel been sanctified? No. Has Israel crossed the Jordan? No. Has Israel's new generation been, been uh, uh, circumcised? No. Has battle plans been given? No. Has Joshua seen the angel? No. And you already know? I know. Why? I believe. If God did that, we have no choice. We are finished. We are finished. We are finished. Listen to the two spies now. Verse 14 when she makes a confession. So the men answered, our lives for you. She said, please save me and my family. Our lives for yours. If none of you tell, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord, when the Lord, you see she had more faith than them. When God gives it to her. She said God has already given. They said when God has given. The difference in grammar. The issue here is. The, the harlot of Jericho had more faith in the God of Israel. Than the two men sent by Joshua. 
According to Rahab, God has already given. According to the spice, they hope. Hope. Now go to 2.11. When the people heard, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. What was the response? Fear and terror. Fear and terror. James chapter 2 verse 19. Yeah, quickly keep moving, okay? You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Okay. If this is basically what happens everywhere. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1. Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. You know what happens? They were terrified of the God of Israel and they shut entry to Israel. A lot of people when they come to church and hear the word of God they are terrified but they go out and shut their hearts to God. They don't let him come in or get out. What is your faith? Demonic. All of Jericho heard. All of Jericho feared. One believed. Therefore how do you know she believed? Because if you looked at her house there was a crimson thread hanging over there. I believe. So I'm marking my house out with the blood of Jesus. I put my faith in him. She believed. So the question is, did you believe? When you go out today, will you shut your heart? You are afraid. Oh my gosh, I have a destiny. Oh my gosh, I am called. Oh my God, I am chosen. And then you go out, you shut it. It's over. The word is gone. It is forgotten. It is over. Yet all it takes is to hear the word of God actually once to believe. She heard and she believed. One woman believed. And when she believed, she had to fight two fears. One was temporary, one was eternal. She had to fear a temporary fear. That is the reigning king. In Joshua chapter 2 and verse 3. The king Jericho, king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you. It's an order. If she is found... Her head and a family's head goes and they will throw the dead bodies over the wall. But verse 4 says, the woman took the two men and hid them. She had to fight two fears. Either the fear of a temporal king or the fear of the eternal king. And she gave in to the fear of the eternal king. That's why I said, everybody who endures to the end will ultimately have some point seen the one who is invisible. Otherwise, you will not make it. Because the world will be becoming more tantalizing, more fearful, and more crazy. And you know, people just fall away from the faith because one fear has overcome the other. Do you believe? And Rahab's confession is very interesting if you look at verse 11. Second part. Okay? She says, our heart. Because of you. For the Lord your God. His God in heaven. Above. God on earth. Below. A lot of Christians believe his God in heaven above. They don't believe God is on earth below. His God in heaven is not going to change your life. His God on earth is what is going to change my life. Look at her confession. What does she say? God is your God. Is God in heaven. And God on earth below. Now let me tell you something. Listen to Moses in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 39. Therefore know this day and consider it in your heart that God himself is God in heaven above 
and on earth beneath and there is no Moses proclamation and the harlot's confession is the same. God says both by faith are able to see who I am. God is not a respecter of persons. God is not a respecter of persons. Let me tell you, he is not. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Moses will make a proclamation of God who is having incredible encounters with God. Literally seeing him face to face. Having God speak to him. And at the end of his life, he will proclaim to Israel, God is God of heaven and God is God of earth. Prostitute of Jericho makes the same proclamation, having seen no dream, no vision, never hearing the voice of God, just hearing the report, what the God of Israel has done 40 years earlier. She makes the same proclamation. And God says, you know why? I have included her in Hebrews 11, because she was a woman of faith. 2,000 or 2,000, 3,000 years later, Jesus will come and talk to another Canaanite woman. I have not found faith like this in Israel. Great is your faith. But before that, there was another Canaanite woman about whom I'm sure God said in heaven. I always think angels were working overtime that day. God saying, write that down, write that down and include her in my family line. Because I have not found faith like that in Israel. That Canaanite woman, you know what? She has faith. God is not a respecter of persons. Jeremiah, don't say you are a youth. Don't look at your weaknesses. Don't look at your limitations. Don't look at your challenges. Look at me and believe what I tell you. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. You know, all those who have heard from God and those who hear from God and keep believing, they are all connected by the same spirit. This is how Paul will put it in 2 Corinthians 4.13. And since we have the same spirit of what? Faith. According to what is written, I believed and therefore I speak. I spoke. We also believed and therefore we speak. Everybody in history from the first one, Abel onwards to the last one are connected by the same spirit of faith. Why? Because they heard and they believed what they heard. And they say, I believed, therefore I spoke. Okay. And they also belong one day to that cloud of witnesses. So the first lesson you learn today is Do not look at your limitations. Do not say you are a youth. Second one. Faith does not cover or hide before challenges. Verse 8. Do not be afraid of their faces. I know you are young. I know that. You think I made a mistake by calling you? No. I'm going to send you to a terrible people who will not listen. Not Canaanites, Israelites. <laughs> it's more difficult preaching to believers than to unbelievers. Don't be afraid of, your, of their faces. First thing God says, you know what? Don't look at your limitations. Second thing, don't be afraid of the crowd I'm sending you to. Don't be afraid. When God is sending you to a particular situation, a particular place, an unknown situation, God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It is. It is true. Now, when you go to strange places, new places, and the entire crowd is full, you know what happens? The people are all sitting and listening. 
Pastors are sitting like this. Who is this dude who is from a strange country speaking in our tongue? God always will say, don't be afraid of their faces. You just preach and then slowly you see them relaxing and relaxing. And before you know, they're sitting at the edge of their chair. Okay? But initially, if you look at them, you didn't want to preach. That's what God is saying. Whenever he sends you, please remember, it will be a strange people. And they may not, may, may look hostile, but God says, don't be afraid of their faces. Because the hostility is first seen where? In the faces. First seen, very serious. And they cross their arms also. Okay? God says, don't be afraid. Third one. Verse 7. But the Lord said to him, do not say I am a youth for you shall go to all whom I sent you. Whatever I command, you shall speak. He says, first, don't say you are young. Don't make, make a big thing about your limitations. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm a child. I'm a youth. I'm not, not studied. I don't have money. No, I am sick. I am bedridden. All this are junk before God. None of them makes any sense to God. Okay? So don't make these excuses. Second thing, he says, don't be afraid of the crowd to whom I am sending. Third thing, when I sent you, I expect one thing from you. Implicit obedience. Total obedience. You shall go where I send you. And you shall speak whatever I tell you. Don't change the message looking at their faces. Don't change the message. I expect obedience. How much? 100%. I expect that obedience. You will go where I send you and you will speak what I tell you. And then, once you have done these three, let me give you this assurance which you found in verse 8. What is that assurance? For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. You don't worry. I'm with you. That's what we see in the lives of all God's servants. Even Paul till the last day. The crowd, the believing crowd, the Jewish crowd, then the Christian crowd, all turned hostile only because of this message. But God was with him and he will always say, he delivered me out of every situation he delivered. Even when they killed him, he brought him back to his life. One of the places they stoned him to death and put him outside. And he came back to life and continued his ministry. God said, I will deliver you. So you have this assurance that comes from faith. You know, these two verses alone, I could preach for the rest of the day. What God expects his children to do. Don't make a mountain of your weaknesses. Don't hide behind the challenges. Don't get scared by the challenges. Learn to obey God completely. And second, third, implicit obedience. And be always sure he will never leave you nor forsake you. Now we come we have communion too today. So now we come to the second thing after you have done this. But Lord, how do I reach this kind of faith? I want this faith. I've heard this faith, 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 faith for so many years. I want this kind of faith. How do I get this kind of faith? I want to go where you sent me. I want to do what you tell me. I want your presence with me always. But Lord, how? Show me how. It's interesting, he teaches all this to a young boy. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 9. No, no, sorry, 1, 9. We are in chapter 1, no, sorry, not 2, 1, 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. 
know what God is telling? You want to be that kind of a person? I have destined you to be. Mera vajan? Khalo. Eat my word. You know, when we eat, we take food, we chew it nicely, we swallow it, our system digests it. Before you know, which you thought even realizing, that food becomes part of you. Everyone sitting here is what you eat. You are what you eat. This is exactly true of your soul too. You are what you eat. God says, I will tell you how you can become this person. Take this and eat it. He actually will say that in Jeremiah 15 verse 16. You know what he says? Your words were found and I ate them. I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Suddenly he realized, I was called by your name in the beginning. But now I really understand you are called by your name because now I can understand everything you say because you know what? My mind thinks like you. I ate your word. My mind does not operate according to the system of the world. It operates according because I took your word and have eaten it. I have ingrained, ingested your word that how I think is how you think. Do you know how God rules? Hebrews 1.3 says how he rules. This is how he rules. Yeah, quickly. Being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by how? The word of his power. The entire universe is held by the word of his power. And God says, that's what I have given to you. Do you know what I have given to you? I have given you my word. And Hebrews 4.12 will say the nature of this word. What is the nature of this word? The word of God is living. First thing asked the question is, is the word of God living? Is it living? Because the fact is, till yesterday, till yesterday night, a whole week, what I thought God wanted me for this morning, he just changed it this morning. Otherwise, I was supposed to go on affliction, the second, third, or third part of Moses. But this morning, he said, that's not what you're going to speak today. I said, yes, boss, you're the boss. (laughs) I am not the boss. These are your people, not my people. You alone know what they need. What do I know? What do I know? Do you believe the word of God is living when you read it? The first thing it says the word of God is living and it is powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Do you really believe? Really believe? Do you really believe the word of God is true? Will you accept it implicitly and obey it? Because this is one of the things we actually face. Church, But more than this, when you go on missions, what happens when you go on missions is that after that six hours of preaching, you will have 101 people coming for counseling because it's easier to talk your deeper issues with a pastor who has come from outside than from inside. So you are sitting in the church and everybody asks, so your meeting may finish, but you cannot leave. The other pastor is also waiting. I said, is it okay? They said, okay. And they will come. Young people will come and ask. Married people will come and ask. Divorced people will come up. Separated people. Everybody will ask the question. To everyone, you have only one answer. First thing, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I believe. Really? 
Before I can even give you one answer, my first question, do you believe this? Yes. What is your situation? This is what is written for your situation. Really? They don't go happy. Pastor, you know what? Yes. I was praying in, 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 that, in that country. Everybody wants to go to Australia. That is their dream land. You know, Pastor, I've been trying and this thing. I said, okay. Why do you want to go to Australia? That's always been my desire. And no, one time in our meeting, a, a prophet came and he prophesied and told me you will go to Australia. I said, okay. I said, have you, shall I show you something? Yes. Shall I read to you from Ezekiel? Yes. If you have an idol in your heart and you go to a prophet, God will answer you through that prophet according to the idol. The prophet is genuine. Prophet is not false. He is genuine. God is using this man to judge your idolatry. Are you okay? They panicked, literally. <laughs> is this so? I said, one of the good things to do is that I said, faith comes from hearing. Okay? Don't put your desires before God. Put God's desire before you. Say, Lord, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. Children will come from unbelieving backgrounds and they will say, Pastor, I said, wait a second. Do you believe your word? Yes. What's your problem? This is, my father is an unbeliever. Mother is an unbeliever. I said, what does the word of God say to you? Honor, father and mother. Right? Yeah. Do you need an answer? No. You got the word? Yes. Then lot of separated ones because these are all pioneering countries where evangelism is going in the first time. So, so many married, like, no, they got married uh, when they were both unbelievers and now one has become a believer. It's constant conflict. So, they will come and ask, women will come and ask, Pastor, my husband has left me. Husband will come and say, my wife has left me. I ask them the first question, why did they leave you? Because accordingly only I can give, I'm not a general antibiotic guy. Broad spectrum antibiotic they call in medicine. I don't do that. I said, tell me your situation. What is your? Was it because of your faith? Yes. After I became believer, trouble started. Then every day it was on my faith. And finally he left or she left. So I said, if I tell you according to the word, will you receive it? Okay, pastor. Said, what is it written? If an unbelieving spouse wants to stay, let him stay. Right? What did he do? He or she? She? What does scripture say? Let him. Let her. That is scripture. Will you take it? God hates divorce. That is another context. That's another context. That divorce is because of violence. That is the problem. Our whole issue is, will you accept God's word as truth? And God says, you're free. No, but I have two children. I said, do you believe God is your provider? Don't exalt anything above this. Don't exalt. No, my parents are unbelievers. Leave that aside. God does did not write in the Bible, honor your father and mother who believe. By the time that commandment is repeated to the second generation where the fathers were all unbelievers, God raises up the heat and says, cursed is the man. 
who dishonors his father or his mother. Why? Because their father and mother were total unbelievers and rebels. But God says to children, you got no business to judge your father and mother. Honor them. Whether they are believers or unbelievers, rebels or what, that's my job, not your job. You honor them. You honor them. Obeying is a different thing. Even when they ask them, do you live in your father's house? Yes. Does he put the bread on your table? Yes. So what does Shammat do? Obey. When you are living on your own, you are across that age and you are able to meet, honor them, but obey God. Honor them, obey God. Honor is always unconditional. Even when you disobey, honor. When you are disobeying, be very sure you are obeying God. So this is how it works. And this is our problem. Our problem is, it's like, can you handle the truth? The Bible always says the truth will set you free. Truth never keeps you in bondage. It always sets you free. Whatever, however difficult, however bitter the antibiotics, it, it still heals you. That's why it's given in nice plastic container and inside you open it and take, you'll puke. But if you take it in, it will go inside and set you free. And God's word is that. That's another portion he will say, when I took it, it was sweet. When it went to my stomach, it was bitter. The capsule opened. It was, but it heals. It heals. It heals. Now I'm not telling anybody to create confrontations in your house. Okay, I got a trick how to get my husband or my wife out of my life. I'm not telling any of those things. Please don't do any of those things. Go by scripture, obey scripture, live by scripture. And that's what God is talking about. The word of God is powerful. Very, very powerful. Eat it, he says. Digest it. In Jeremiah 1 and verse 10, he will tell him what will happen. When I have put the word in your mouth, see I have this day set you over the nations and over kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build and to plan. Don't look at nations. Look at the nations inside you. In my soul, I see many nations, many kingdoms. Kingdoms are ideologies, what you have chosen to believe. Kingdom is not a map written on a paper. These are ideologies. Every ism. And there are so many isms sitting right here. Humanism, feminism, communism, naxalism, you socialism, every kind of ism. Churches are full of isms. And these are all kingdoms. And God says, every kingdom has to be pulled down. And only the word of God, unconditional acceptance of the word of God has truth will break it down. And 21st century women in the church struggle with feminism. 21st century young people in America struggling with socialism. They want socialism in the land of capitalism which made them. Everybody struggles. The new gospel is the gospel of Laodicea. Humanism. It's about man. You know, David Wilkerson saw a vision. A very powerful and very frightening vision. And he saw it differently. He says, this is the vision, the way I saw. He says, you see, it's a reverse. Satan goes during the time of Job and goes to God and says, you put a hedge around him and you have blessed him. That's why he worships you. Take the hedge off and see whether he will worship you. So God removes the hedge. He says, okay, I remove the hedge. And he loses everything in one day, but he still worships God. He says in the 21st century, the devil actually does the opposite. He says, Lord, you know what you need to do? Put a hedge around your people and bless them unbelievably inside and see what they will do. And God, his, God says, that is the Laodicean church. I am out 
because they have been blessed immeasurably. Now their God is money, pleasure, treasure, riches, position, name, reputation. That is Laodicea, the last day's church. Because I took the heads that protected them all these years. All these 2,000 years, the church was poor, it was marginalized, it was weak, but it was strong spiritually. But now, church is different. And we do not realize it is judgment. It is judgment. It is judgment. And we are still being taught that lie over every TV channel. Every TV channel. And we are not able to receive. That's why I asked the pastors. I challenge you. Go through the entire New Testament. And find one place where it is written. Blessed. And it agrees with the Old Testament. Blessed. One place. It will not agree. Blessed are the poor in the spirit. Blessed are the who are meek. Blessed are those who are mourning. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are not offended by member. Blessed, 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 blessed. Nothing to do with this world. Everything to do with the kingdom. And it's suffering there involved. But it's a dare you to preach the new covenant. Instead you will not. You will take the term blessed. Go back to the old covenant and talk about money, 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 money. Why? Because you are not obedient to preach what God has actually told Actually told. Find one place in the new covenant. I challenge you today. Go back home. Find one place in the new covenant. Where it agrees. With the old covenant meaning of blessing. Suddenly we will make different choices in life. When you realize. Oh my gosh. Is this what it is? God says. When you eat my word. It will root out. Pull down. Every ideology. And Paul puts it most beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 to 6. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity of the obedience. So that's what I told, because the first theme of the first meeting I had last month was on spiritual warfare. I said, wait a second, before I be, I said, you, you all want magic. You don't want real discipleship. What you want is that, give us a message, and then at the end of it, cast out every demon out of it. So you can cast out every demon you get out, seven others will get in, unless your mind is controlled by the word of God. Nothing is going to change. There is so much deliverance meetings taking place. Some of the people have attended the same deliverance meeting over and over and over, and nobody is getting delivered. Why? Because they will not replace their thinking. They will not surrender and bring every thought to the captivity of Christ Jesus. And you know actually, bringing every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ, you have to read verse 7 and then you will understand what he is actually meaning. You know what he says? When your obedience, yes, can I have it? Yes. Did you get it? Next verse, 7. Yeah. Quickly. We have communion. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, I've heard your comments about me. Literally, you read the rest of the passage. Oh, he writes such mighty, weighty, such heavy letters. But when he comes, he has no gap at all. They're making fun of him. He says, you know what? I can use my apostolic authority, but I will not. He says, if you really have to receive counsel from you, first you have to learn to obey Once you have learned to obey, I can teach you what obedience is. To those who have not willingly submitted to God and to the church, nothing can be taught. That's exactly what he's telling the Corinthian church. 
That's what I said. The life of a believer begins with surrender. And where there is no surrender, all the word of God is just floating around, makes no difference at all. Even when people come to, that's why it is easier to counsel outside than counsel inside. When people come outside, it's very easy. Will you accept what I tell you? I'm not giving you my counsel because I don't know even know who you are. But I will tell you what the word of God is. And if you will obey, it will set you free. Are you willing? Are you willing? Our struggle is with the word of God. We don't realize believers fight with the word of God more than anybody else. And scripture says, I will put my words in your mouth. Chew it, eat it, digest it. And when you do it, it's automatically doing a life work in you. It's what is it? It's pulling down, pulling down, uprooting everything that is contrary to God. Jesus will put it this way in Matthew 15 and verse 13. He will say it this way, yeah. And he answered, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. There are many plants in our life which God never uprooted. Because scripture says, when the master was sleeping, the other fellow came and sowed many seeds. Many seeds have been sowed into your mind through internet, through TV, through all kind of junk. It is all gotten over there. God says, everything that was not planted by my father will be uprooted. How do you do it? When you eat his word, the word is living. It will. Of course, it demands obedience from you. But when you start eating and digesting, you know, we have to listen to opinions of people. These are all opinions. It's got nothing to do with the word of God. Opinions are passed across as theology. Theology means something that is true about God. That's your opinion. Does it agree with the word of God? You look at them, they can preach for 45 minutes, one hour, one scripture. Why do we give all this scripture? Because our preaching should not stand on our wisdom, our eloquence. It will stand solely on the word of God. Because the word of God is what is living, not the preacher. The question is, do you believe? Because so many ideas are planted in the lives of people. Once we have eaten God's word, it becomes our thought life and our heart life. And we will see we have authority to uproot them. See, God's plan for everyone is good. It is good, it is great, and it is big. Because that is what God is. But for all it to come to pass, believe, surrender, and don't be afraid. Know that he is with you. As you go to communion, let this word be in your head. Next part, we will look next time. Now, there's another church who've been worshipping, 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 waiting for me to come. And they will keep worshipping until I reach there. Okay. So, let's go to communion. But as you go to communion, remember, everything, even about communion, even about communion, everything, If you before you take communion, go through the Bible every first weekend and read every place where it is written about communion so you get the truth about communion. Why did Jesus say, do this in remembrance of my death and not resurrection? Death and not resurrection. Right? Come. Worship team, come. Pastor Vijay, come. Elders who are there, come. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. Once again, we thank you for your word. And the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The word that became flesh and went upon the cross and died for us to fulfill the word that was spoken by the Father, Lord. 
It was all done by the word, the living word of Master. Today, Father, even as we partake of your emblems of your broken body and your shed blood, we pray once again, according to your word, it will bring healing. It will bring strength. It will bring awakening in our lives, O oh God, to the reality of your living word, O oh Master. That we will go from this place with a desire to eat your word. To meditate upon your word day and night. To allow your word to govern our thinking and our decisions, O oh Lord. Not to step outside the word, O oh Master. For there is life in the word, Lord. For you are the bread that came from heaven. Bless us, Lord, as we partake of it. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Your cross testifies in grace to love the Father's heart to make a word for us not only we
hear and fulfill your destiny in their lives or not. And like Jeremiah, we continuously hear your voice, your teaching, O Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. We lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. You bless your holy name, bless your holy name. And we proclaim, O God, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Thank you, thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.